We'll be in the book of Psalms, Psalm 19. Last week, I taught on, um, out of Isaiah on how we should seek the Lord. And in that message, the, the third point was we seek the Lord in the Word of God. And so as I prayed about what would be the right message to give, kind of trailing that, I thought, well, why? I mean, why do we need the Word? And I think no better scripture than Psalm 19 explains to us about the sufficiency and reliability of scripture than Psalm 19. We live in a day where the Word of God is being attacked from all fronts, particularly the sufficiency and the reliability of the Bible as truth. But guys, it's not anything new. All the way back in the very first century, there was a group called the Gnostics. Uh, Gnosis means knowledge. And they, they believed that they had special knowledge from God, and only select few could get this knowledge. And so all the way, way back in the beginning, when the Word was being established as the Word of God, these people come out and say, wait a minute, I have a special Word from God. And that flows all the way down through the centuries. People saying, that's not the Word of God. I've got something new, something more. We see it today in many cults, right? Jehovah's Witnesses, they've changed literal words within the Bible to fit their own heretical teaching. You have the Mormons which have different books, the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, the Doctrines and Covenants, all these different people and groups trying to say that this truly is not the Word of God. But we here at Calvary Chapel know, believe, and teach that the Bible is sufficient for all things in life and for godliness. We believe that in what was called the inerrancy of Scripture, that is, it's free from error. We teach in the infallibility of Scripture, that it's incapable of error. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, that it is sufficient for all things in life and in godliness. And there is no better text than Psalm 19 to really bring forth why. I mean, why do we need this? Why did God give us the word written down for our instruction? We're going to just take it one section at a time. So let's begin by looking at the text. Why do we need the word of God? It's written by David, and he begins with that God has revealed himself in his creation, that God's glory is revealed by what he, is, by what he has made. But guys, we need more than just what is being revealed in creation. God has revealed himself in two primary ways, through what he has made, that is, by creation, and also through the word of God. Let's look at the text, verses 1 through 6. It says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Days to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line is gone throughout all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of its chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. It is rising from one end of the heavens to the other, and its circus to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So the opening six verses right here are revealing that God has revealed his glory in creation. That is, by what he has made, by the things that he has created. Every day, every night is a declaration of God's mighty power. It's a declaration of his design, his order, his intelligence. And so when you go outside and you see creation, you just say, wow, 
Somebody designed this. This is not by mistake. It says here that day to day pours forth speech. Literally that it pours forth like a fountain of water that never ends. Day in, day out, we have the light come up and the light go down. Then it says night reveals knowledge. There's something special. When you look at the starry expanse and you say, something happened here. God has created this. There's a uniqueness to God's creation. It says there is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world in verses three and four. And although there's no audible voice, the message of God's glory is still sent out by what he has made. And the writer, which is David, is trying to say, look, the creation that God has given us tells of his glory, and we are without an excuse. We should know that there is a God by what he has made. And the illustration of the sun at the end of verse 4, that the sun literally rises from one end of the heavens and circuits to the other end, What he's talking about is the sun has a massive orbit. And we know now that it literally takes with it all the planets that follow with it. And then even the trail of the sun, we know that this displays the glory of God. It says it rises from one end of the heavens to the other, to the circuit circuit to the other end, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. And just as there's nothing hidden from the heat of the sun, there's nothing hidden from the glory of God. That we should know just by what has been made that there is a God. This is what Paul said in Romans 1.20. He says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood by what has been made, so that they are without an excuse. There is so much evidence just from His creation that there is, an, there is a God that we should just know it. I mean, our founding fathers, they put it in the Declaration of Independence. They said, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are empowered by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But unfortunately, guys, sin blinds the eyes. It darkens the heart. And it's caused many to say, I don't really think there is a God. But the the scriptures reveal that there is, and creations reveal that there is. You know, I read this study. It's actually a book called God's Undertaker. And it it's, has a subtitle that says, Has Science Buried God? I want you to hear all these great known scientists and their study is on how did the world begin? The first one, her name is Leslie Orgel. She summed up the positions of many scientists as follows. She said, There are several tenable theories about the origin of organic material on the primitive earth, but in no case is the supporting evidence compelling. Orgel also echoes what Klaus Dawes says. He's also a prominent scientist working on the origin of life. And he said that at the present, all discussions on principal theories and experiments in the field in, in the field either end in a stalemate or there's a confession of ignorance. Francis Crick, he doesn't like Christians, by the way. This is what he says. He says, the origin of life seems almost like to be a miracle. So many are the conditions which from have had been satisfied even to get it going. Stuart Kaufman is from the Santa Fe Institute, claims that anyone who tells you that he or she knows how life started some 3.5 billion years ago is a fool or a knave. Nobody knows. And finally, Francis Collins, he's the director of the Human Genome Project. He said this, 
He goes, how did self-replicating organisms arise in the first place? He said, it's fair to say that at the present time, we simply do not know. But guys, we do know. The expanse of nature, just what is naturally made through creation, displays God's glory. Just the fact that there's nature reveals that there is a God. The vastness of nature reveals his immensity. The uniformity of nature reveals his unity. The regularity of nature discloses that he is unchangeable. The variety of nature manifests that he is exhaustless. The adaptions of nature unveil his wisdom and the beauty unveils that he is good. Nature tells us that there is a God. But because of sin, we needed more. God had to give us something more, so he gave us supernatural revelation in the Word of God. And the rest of what we're going to read in Psalms is going to point out why. Why do we need the Word? Why did God have to give us something written down? And it's going to be great how it just unfolds. So let's take a look at that. The first thing we saw is that God has revealed himself in creation, but we need more. The second thing is the Word of God is sufficient for our needs. The Word of God is sufficient for all things pertaining to life and to godliness. We need this book. And God has given it to us as a gift. Look at verses 7 through 9. It says that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. So verses 1 through 6 look at natural revelation. These remaining verses, beginning with verse 7, look at supernatural revelation. Why do we need the word? Look at verses 7 through 9. He displays here some different things about the word. The first thing is he gives us titles for scripture. Look at verse 7. A title for scripture, he says, is the law of the Lord and the testimony of the Lord. There's six of them. In verse 8, he calls scripture the precepts of the Lord and the commandment of the Lord. And in verse 9, he calls scripture the fear of the Lord and the judgments of the Lord. Scripture is law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear, and judgment. There's also six characteristics of Scripture given here. It's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, and it's true. And then he shows six benefits to Scripture. It restores the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. And the final one, it produces what we call comprehensive righteousness or right living. So scripture, it converts, it makes people wise, it brings joy, it enlightens, it endures forever, and it produces righteousness. And then notice who the author is. Six times a repeated phase of the Lord, 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 of the Lord. And that name he's using there is Yahweh, the creator God. He is saying that this is God's own testimony, not only about himself, but about what we need. So let's just take them one at a time. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul, 7a. Now it says the law, and that's the word Torah, which is the favorite biblical word for scripture. It identifies scripture as the divine law, 
as divine teaching. This is God's divine manual for man on how to live. Now, I don't know about you, but when you bought a car, you got a manual for that car. It's to help you understand how it works. Sometimes when you buy a refrigerator or whatever, you get this manual. Well, we've been given a manual for life. This is for human beings to understand how we might live this life to its fullness in a way that glorifies God. God has given us his manual for life. And he says here that it is perfect. And that word means all-sided. And so it's to cover all aspects of life. It means that it lacks nothing. That this in its wholeness is complete. That nothing needs to be added and nothing should be taken away. That God has given us his word as an instruction manual for us, and it's perfect, it's complete. And then it has power. And he says right here, it has power to do what? To restore the soul. It has the power to transform. He's talking about transformation here. He's talking about conversion. He's talking about real change. This is why Jesus says, you must be born again. This is why Paul says, you are a new creation. This is why when we look at the text, it says they were brought from death to life. It's talking about radical change. This book has the power to do that. Now, just a side note, we don't worship this book. We worship the God that is displayed in the pages of this book, but God has given it to us for our instruction to help us to know him for real, and we need to know this book. It is precious to us. This book will bring complete change, not only in the beginning with conversion, but ongoing through sanctification. It will help us become more and more like Christ. Now that word soul in the Hebrew is the word nephes, and it means the inner person, the real you. As you spend time in this book, it's going to change you and transform you into the image of Christ. This is how Paul put it in 2 Timothy 3.15. Writing to Timothy, he said, From childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And Paul said in Romans 10.15, he said, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This book is good news. It has been given to us for our instruction. Now listen to how Peter talks about this book. He says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding Word of God. This is a very special book that has been given to us. And it has the power to restore the soul, to bring life to the soul. And it doesn't stop there. The second thing we see in 7b is the testimony of the Lord is sure. Testimony looks looks at Scripture not as God's divine law, but as God's own personal testimony. Now, when we see nature, we don't always understand all of God's attributes. We know that there is a God, but what is he like? He's put it in the word of God. It is a testimony of God's own words to us so that we may know the true and living God as he is. God has given us this testimony. And unlike other books, this book is sure. It says right there, sure. What does that mean? It means unwavering, unmistakable, reliable. This is a reliable book that you can bet your life on. And then it says it does what? It makes the simple wise. It makes the uneducated educated. Now, I love the word simple because in the Hebrew, what simple means is open door, just open door. A door doesn't discriminate, right? 
And so if you just leave your door open, things come and go as they will. But the Bible says you need to learn to shut that door, right? See, our, our culture teaches all about, well, you need to have an open mind, right? That's a big deal in our culture. Do you need to have an open mind? The Bible says don't have your mind open. Shut it. You're to be able to discern between good and evil, right and wrong. And the Bible gives you that discernment. It is to help you to shut the door in your mind and to open it to those things that you want and what to keep, what to get rid of. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 put it like this, For this reason we are constantly thanking God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which performs its work in all of you who believe. And this is how Jesus put it about the Word of God. We need this book for wisdom. And Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been built and founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, he's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. The word of God is a foundation. It is the rock on which we build our life upon. It shows us how to live life in a way that honors God. It teaches us how to close that door of our mind and what to open it to. We need this word. It is sufficient to restore the soul and it's sufficient to make a person wise. Look at the third thing. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. That's in verse eight. Now, everyone wants to be happy, right? Everybody wants joy. But what the Bible is saying, if you really want true happiness, if you want real joy, it's only found in the word of God. But most people try to find it in other things, right? Substances, alcohol or drugs. Achievements, you know, making a lot of money, maybe relationships. But the Bible says, no, if you want real joy, lasting joy, that joy is going to be found right here. Now, he uses the word precepts. Precepts are principles and doctrines. These are truths that we must know and that we stand upon. These are the rocks that we stand upon. Doctrines and truths are absolute. They are guidelines to help us to understand how we can have joy even in the midst of difficult times. He also uses the word right here. And it means, it doesn't mean right from wrong, it means right in terms of the right path. He's saying this book will show you the right path to walk for life. Psalm 119.105 says, The word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path. The Bible will direct us on which way we should go. You ever had a really tough decision to make? Go to the Word. Be in prayer and go to the Word of God. I mean, how many times have you been sitting in a service and you're trying to decide something or there's some question or some problem that you have and through the clear preaching and teaching of the Word of God, God brings you that answer. How many times have you had that morning time with the Lord just alone before Him and all of a sudden He just pops it out in the Word of God? It is a light for us. And we need this word. And it brings joy to a broken heart. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. He said, thy words were found and I ate them and thy words became a joy and a delight to my heart. When you have anxiety, when you have fear, when you have trouble in this life, 
Go to the Word of God. Is a foundation that will not move. The truths are solid and it is dependable and trustworthy. 1 John says this in 1 John 1, 4, These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. You want to follow the precepts, the truths, the doctrines of the Word of God. Now someone once said that if you have no joy in your faith, then there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. And I think that leak is a lack of the Word of God. I really do. We need this book as a foundation for us. So the scriptures are a source of joy, true wisdom, and real transformation. Look at the fourth thing. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That's in verse 8. The commandment of the Lord are divine decrees that are authoritative. They are binding. They're not optional. They demand obedience from us. And then he uses the word pure, and it probably is better translated clear. That means the word of God makes things lucid or clear. If you're confused about something, go to the word of God. It begins to clarify your thinking. We as Christians need to learn to put everything through the grid of Scripture, through the lens of Scripture. And it will bring clarity to those things in life that are often frustrating and confusing. Proverbs 6.23 says that the commandment of the Lord is a lamp and the teaching is a light. You want to see things for what they really are? Go to the Word of God. You want to know things that you just can't figure out. The Word of God will illuminate them for you. The followers of Christ, we need to see everything through Bible. We need to begin to think Bible. We need to know this book well. This is a great prayer. Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things from your law. Pray that prayer. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold these things that only you can teach me through the word. So it's sufficient for salvation, sufficient for wisdom, sufficient for lasting joy, and it's sufficient to bring clear understanding. Look at the fifth thing. The fear of the Lord is sufficient. So it says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So we've seen that the Bible is law, testimony, precepts, commandment. But here it uses the word fear. Man, I looked at that and went, fear. What do I do with that one? And so as you begin to dig down into that word in the Hebrew, it means awe or reverence or wonder or respect. It's worship. This book is the divine manual on how we worship the Lord. This book will help us to understand not only who God is, but how we worship our God. This is a manual for us to worship. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One understanding. This gives us the knowledge so we know how to worship the true and living God for who He is. This instructs us on how to worship. And then it says that the Bible is clean. And I think what that means in Hebrew is flawless. That this book is without mistake. That it is a sure word. It is clean and we can go to it because it is authoritative and we can stand on its truth. It is without error. The, the Greek word, I mean the Hebrew word is taruf and it carries the idea of absence of impurity. And not only that, this book endures forever. There is one thing that I'm clear when I'm speaking to somebody about the Lord. If I use the word of God, I know that these words are lasting, that they will go all the way into eternity. This is how Peter put it in 1 Peter 24. He says, all flesh is like grass 
And its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of God endures forever. This is an enduring word that lasts. And that's why we preach the word of God here in this church. That's why we do what's called expositional preaching, going book by book, verse by verse. The reason is we know that this is the sure thing, that this book will endure when we are long gone. This book will go into eternity. This book is sufficient for our needs. This book saves people. It makes people wise. It brings joy. It brings understanding, and it endures forever. And the sixth thing is the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. The Bible is a book of judgments. They are righteous judgment by the righteous judge given to us for our instruction. They're given by the judge of all the earth. And what it says is absolutely true. Romans 3, 4 says, Indeed, let God be true, and every man what? A liar. If you don't hold to the truths of God and what's in the word of God, then the Bible says you're a liar. We need to know this book. If you stand against God, if you stand against this word, then you stand against the one that wrote this word. Titus 1, 1 and 2, Paul said this, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised from ages long ago. Since God cannot lie, guess what this book has? The truth. And there's a lot of misinformation out there, but the bottom line, guys, if you want to live a life that is full, if you want to know God for who He truly is, and you want to stand in things that are true, then it's this word we need to go to. And it says here, righteous altogether. That means a comprehensive righteousness. It means it helps us to live a life that is righteous before God. It helps us to, to live right, right living, a life that honors God. So this word, this book, is sufficient. It's sufficient for everything we need in life and for godliness. The word of God saves. It makes people wise. It brings joy to a broken heart. It brings understanding to the confused. It endures forever, and it helps us to live a life that honors God. We need this book for 2013. And my hope from this message is that it's going to kind of drive you into the Word this year, that this will be a different year for you. I don't know how you did in 2012. My wife and I were talking about goals this week. And one of our goals is to know this Word all that much more, to have it permeate our lives. There's a gentleman, um, his name is Christian Smith, and he wrote a book called Soul Searching. And he says there's a dilemma within American churches, and he calls it moral therapeutic deism. He says a lot of people kind of look at God as Santa Claus. They kind of view him as somebody that just kind of gives you something you want. And this is how he puts it. He says, moral implies that God wants us to be nice. He rewards good little boys and girls, and he punishes naughty boys and girls. Therapeutic means that God just wants us to be happy. And deism means that God is distant and uninvolved. It's kind of like this. He spun a top and he stepped back and he goes, man, I wonder where that's going to land. But he says, that's a problem with many within the church today. We need this book so we can clearly see who the true and living God is because without it, we'll create a God of our own making and we'll worship a God who truly isn't God at all. 
As a matter of fact, he'll end up being an obese, jolly toy maker who works one day a year. We need the book. We need the Word of God. Two things we've seen. God has revealed himself in his creation, but we needed more. And so he gave us the Word of God, and it's sufficient for our our needs. And the third thing we see is that the Word of God is the most valuable thing that we have. God gave us the most valuable thing, and it's this, the Word of God. Now, most people see material possessions as valuable, or maybe the relationship with a loved one as their most valuable thing. But the Bible states clearly that this is it, that the Word is. Look at verses 10 and 11. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. There is no greater possession that we have than the Word of God. And I don't know if you look at it that way, but back in those days when when David was writing that, the most precious metal was gold. If you had gold, you were a rich man, and we know that David had a lot. He was the king, right? But he said that there was something more precious than even fine gold, this, the Word of God. Do you want to be skilled in the aspects of living? Then you need the Word of God. Do you want to have permanent, lasting joy? The Word of God. Do you want those dark things in life, those difficult things made clear? The Word. You want a source that is pure, without stain, that is truth? Go to the Word. How valuable is that? It's of immense value. It's incalculable. This book is the most precious and valuable thing we have. And he doesn't stop there. He says, also, there's no greater pleasure. He says, sweeter than honey. Also, the drippings of a honeycomb. If you wanted to get the sweetest thing back then when David wrote this, it was honey. It was worth a lot of money. Honey wasn't that common. And so if you had honey, it it was like, man, what a delicacy you had. But there is a pleasure greater than anything in this life, and it's found in the Word of God. Because it ministers literally to the soul. And it brings joy in your darkest hour. It is a pleasure only found here. And he's saying, there's no greater possession. There is no greater pleasure. Psalm 119.47 says, I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. It is the most valuable thing we have, this right here. It is the most prized possession. And I think we've lost that, particularly in America. We have so much, right? And because of that, we kind of, I mean, I don't know how many Bibles you have, but we probably have 15 minimum in my house. So sometimes I don't view this word as the value that it is. But in days past and years past, people really understood this. Now, Karen and I, we like to go to bookshops and find old Bibles. And it's really cool. We've have a, we have a couple that are over 100 years old. And when you open them, you know, they start to fall apart. But in them, there's writing of the people who had owned us before them, what God was speaking to their hearts. And it's just kind of cool to see what God was doing in somebody else's life. And there's a value to that. But I was reading this story about this pastor. His most prized possession is a Bible from the 1500s. And it was when Queen Queen Mary, she was known as Bloody Mary, she was killing Christians for their belief in the Word of God over the traditions of the Catholic Church. And this, this pastor has this one Bible that it has a stain, and the stain is about two thirds up on the page. And It's crimson in color. 
And what they did is they would take somebody when they were martyring them, they're going to burn them at the stake. And right before they burned them, they slit their wrist and they bled their blood into a bowl. And they took their Bible and they put it in the blood and they say, will you denounce the word of God for the traditions of the church? And they said, no. This book literally comes to us on a river of blood. It is of immense value. Do you see it for what it is? A gift from our God. No greater possession. No greater possession. No greater pleasure. And look at this too. It says here that it is a protector. That this book will protect you. It says, verse 11, Moreover, by them your servant is warned. I don't know if you know this, but the word of God, it warns us, doesn't it? Have you ever been sitting in a message and, you, and maybe your mind's going a little squirrely and you're thinking of something, doing something stupid and then the word of God is preached and it warns you before you ever took that step. This book will warn you before you make some really dumb moves. We need this book. It protects us from ourselves. It's a book given by God to us because of our sinful nature, but he wants to help us. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may, what? Not sin against you. This book warns us. And also, it's a provider. Look at verse 11 again. In keeping them, that is obeying the word of God, there is great, what? Reward. The Hebrew word reads this way. In keeping them, there is the end. That's what it reads. In keeping them, there is the end. That means that there is an eternal reward found right here. If you keep these words, there is an eternal reward waiting for you. It is a precious, precious book. There's eternal blessing. John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. This word is so valuable. It's our greatest possession, pleasure, protector, provider, and also the last thing is it's a purifier. It'll purify our soul. Look at verses 12 and 13. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. We need this work because it clarifies, it purifies our soul. Now sin's gonna keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. And so we need to know it. It builds within us discernment between right and wrong. If the word of God is established in your life, it will begin to purify your life. And it will begin to transform you into the image of Christ. It will change you. Psalm 119, 133 said, Establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. This book will keep us from sin. And guys, I could go on and on about the word of God why we need this book. It is the most precious thing that we have. Let's just say you have a fire at your house, God forbid, and you got one minute to gather your most precious stuff. I pray that the word of God is one of those things you grab first because you're going to need it. God has revealed himself in creation, but we need more. The word of God is sufficient for our needs, and the word of God is the most valuable thing that we have. And he ends it here with a way of application. The word of God, it leads us into a right response. It is sufficient and valuable. But we need to respond to it with the right heart. And look at verse 14. 
He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word affects the way we think and the way we speak. Jesus said, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. The word of God's gonna change your insides, your way of thinking, to the, to the point that it literally begins to, to motivate us to worship. And I think what the writer's doing here is he's thinking about Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8 says this, it says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. When we understand that this book is sufficient for all things, when we understand the true value of what we have, it's going to motivate us to what? To know it, to meditate on it. Because when we do, when we do, Joshua says we'll be careful to do all that's written in it, and then we'll have success. Then we'll be prosperous. And I don't think he's talking about material possessions or material success. I think he's talking about spiritual. We'll be rich inside. We'll have a heart that beats for God. And as I begin to think about this is the beginning of the year that thrusts us off into the rest of 2013, we need one thing for sure. We need this book. And my prayer for you and myself and my family is that we will know it. That you'll meditate on this book like no other. That 2013 will be a different year for you. Because how we get off track with the holidays, right? Just walking simply with the Lord sometimes gets thrown off because of a timing or whatever. But let's start fresh. Let's begin strong in the Word of God. Last week we gave you a Bible through the year read. If you want that, we got more on the counter out there. As pastors of this church, we want to see you guys solid in the Word of God. And that will literally change you from the inside out to His glory. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank You for the Word of God that is sufficient for all things and of immense value. May You teach us in the Word, Lord. May You help us to know You through it. May You show us the way, Lord, that we may grow. And may You help us, Lord, to be diligent. Father, we need You. We need Your help, Lord. We are an undisciplined people. But Lord, we ask and we pray that you will give us a heart for you and a heart for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.